So, uh, I'm Adrian DeLang. I'm one of the pastors at River Park, a pastor of preaching, care, and spiritual formation. And uh, Scripture in Romans 15 invites us to, or Romans chapter 5, excuse me, invites us to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we've been doing that this morning. The student ensemble has led us beautifully in rejoicing. So thank you, and thank you, David, for leading them. And then right after that, right after rejoice with those who rejoice, Scripture calls us to weep with those who weep. And we've been, uh, as a church, as, as God's church, River Park and, and many others in Calgary and around the world, we have this uh, beautiful and unique but also difficult opportunity as, as we gather together on Sundays, often we, we hinge between both of those things. We rejoice, uh, and also we know that there are those gathered here who are weeping. Uh, and and uh, just so thank you, Rachel, for your prayer earlier in our service as well, just acknowledging those. And we're going to, we, we've been in a season of Lent earlier, earlier through our, uh, I'm going to just switch this out a second, or Henrik's going to help me with it. Throughout the season of Lent, we've been looking at uh, lament and mourning. There we go. My wife doesn't even do this for me. Henrik is a special guy. Thank you. <laughs> there we go. So, throughout Lent, we've been looking at uh, lament in the book, uh, the Old Testament book of Lamentation. We've been reading through it together, so this morning we've, we've reached Lamentation chapter 3, which is halfway through the book, the book of five chapters. And uh, the center of the book is the climax of the book, and the center of the book has 66 verses, which doesn't matter to us. Uh, but it's a poem, and it's a poem that we can't really see because none of us read Hebrew, but Hebrew has 22 letters in the alphabet and 66 verses, so each chunk of this chapter, and we're only going to read just a little bit in the middle, but each chunk of this chapter starts with a new letter, and so verses 1 to 3 start with Aleph, or the A, and verses 4 to 6 with Bait, or the B, and on and on from there. And what, what Lamentations, through its poetic form is doing in a really beautiful way is bringing some structure and some order to the, the chaos of our world and the chaos that often we experience in our own lives as we grieve. And that's one of the things that I want us to see this morning as we open up God's word, that God brings order into the chaos of our world and even the brokenness of our own experiences. Soon Chun Ra, who wrote a book on prophetic lament, says that Lament presents the possibility of an order ordained by God in the midst of our broken reality. And so as we open up God's word this morning to Lamentations chapter 3, we're going to see Jeremiah's personal experience of suffering and how he, his personal experience takes the, the evil and the brokenness of our world from an abstraction to something very personal and real. That's what lament does. It moves us from third-person speech to saying, well, racism is a problem, or our world is broken, to first-person action and repentance. How can I live differently? So let's, uh, as we move from the abstract to the personal, I'll just invite you to open up God's Word with me. The words are going to be on the screen behind me, and so you can follow along as I read for us. We'll start with Lamentations 3, verses 19, and we'll read through uh, verse 33. This is Jeremiah speaking, the author of Lamentations. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. 
I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope in him, the one who seeks him, to the one who seeks him. It's good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man to bear the yoke while he is young, the burdens while he's young. Let him sit alone in silence, for the Lord has laid it on him. Let him bury his face in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him offer his cheek to the one who would strike him. Let him be filled with disgrace, for no one is cast off by the Lord forever. Though God brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love, for he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. So far, the reading of God's word. As you already saw on the screen behind me, this Lent, we're continuing our theme of wicked problems. Wicked problems aren't simple problems that have a yes or no answer. Likewise, they're even more complex than the complex problems we often think about that have a definite solution or path way through them. Wicked problems are problems that have many dimensions. They're influenced by many factors, and there's no right solution. The best way forward depends on the context of all of those factors. Wicked problems are usually the context for our lament. They're the problems that make us just sort of collapse in exhaustion and frustration because we don't know how to solve them and we realize that these problems, these difficulties, are beyond our personal ability to solve. Lament, has, as I said, has many factors and dimensions. There's no easy solutions. The things we lament about are often the things that we contribute to ourselves. Even while we hold up our problems, we hold up ourselves and one another to God. Lament turns our hearts back to God in the midst of our struggles. And this morning, as Rachel already uh, alluded to so beautifully in her prayer, we're focusing on the biblical category of foreigner and stranger. The Bible calls Christians, uh, God's people, to, pray, to pay special care to foreigners and strangers. Why? Well, for, there's many reasons, but because sin, uh, uh, here's a couple. Because since Adam and Eve, for starters, all of us are foreigners and strangers to God, apart from Christ. Still today, many of us are foreigners and strangers geographically. We, even if it's just by a, by a factor of degree, we move to new cities, to new provinces. Some of us move to new countries and new cultures. Still others of us have children who grow up and move far from home. And in many ways, we become strangers to them and to those we love. Still, uh, still more, or finally, some of us are foreigners and strangers culturally as well. We experience new way of doing things, people whose understanding of the world is so different from ours that it doesn't seem to make sense at all. All of these layers are worth lamenting. But especially 
we want to think of those who face extra layers of challenge and difficulty this morning. So let's do that for a few minutes. The Book of Lamentations, like the entire Old Testament, is written from an honor-shame cultural perspective. God is good and a loving benefactor. He's like a rich, great uncle who created everything and invited humanity to share in his wealth, in his creation, in his family, and in his honor, his glory. But we took what God created and tried to use it to manufacture our own glory, to make a name for ourselves. Adam and Eve did it, and humanity has done it again and again ever since. We insulted God's goodness, and more importantly, God himself. Not only that, but we failed. We failed to make a name for ourselves, to establish a glory that is much more, as the, Apostle says, as the Apostle Paul says, that's anything more than filthy rags. Our supposed glory results in shame and nakedness. We should have responded by giving our best to God, not because he needs it, but in order to show our thankfulness and further deepen our relationship with him. That's what gifts do. But instead, we set off on our own. As an honorable and great benefactor, God cannot allow this inappropriate reaction for, of his people to stand. It's not right to treat God's glory as if it's a cheap and dirty thing. If God didn't cast out Adam and Eve and his Old Testament people, they would continue in their way. They would miss out on his blessings. But even worse, other people would think that this was okay to do. Maybe even that the sin of God's people was proper. And so God sent out his people in order to show them a better way and in order to demonstrate his goodness and his glory to all. From Genesis onward through Jesus Christ, God began, began the long journey of restoring his good name and ours. And so our text today reminds us that God does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. Jeremiah wants to assure us and remind us as God's people that in the midst of our sorrow and suffering, we can be sure that God is not vindictive or vengeful. God punishes sin and permits evil for his redemptive purposes, not for selfish means or ends. No one is cast off by the Lord forever, Jeremiah says. Though God brings grief, he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. To put this all another way, our sin and living in a sinful world has made all of us strangers and foreigners to God. Outside of God's glory, the affliction and wandering, the bitterness and gall that Jeremiah writes about, they proliferate. They continue, and not only do they remain, but they grow. Our whole world was affected by humanity rejecting God's goodness and glory and trying to take it for ourselves. And over the past number of weeks in Lent and looking at the, books of Lament, the book of Lamentations, We've talked specifically about personal sin and the personal ways in which we sin and need God's restoration. But this morning we continue, or we consider, more corporate sin and its effects and how we lament that those. Here I mean our sinful world, our broken world. Sin gives birth to sin. 
And while there's so much wrong with our world that we're not directly at fault for, we all share in the inheritance of our broken world, our sinful world. And because of our sinful inheritance, we are foreigners and strangers from God. And so we cry out, as we did at the beginning of our service, how long? How long do we have to continue to live as foreigners and strangers of God's goodness? How long do we experience sorrow and injustice of many kinds? But another factor of the pain and brokenness of our world is that, or of sin in our world, is that the pain and brokenness of our world don't just affect everyone, although they do, but they're distributed unequally. This is what wisdom literature in Scripture in general struggles to deal with, including Lamentations. Lamentations ask, why do the, why do the ungodly prosper while the righteous suffer? Or Psalms ask that, excuse me, Proverbs. Lamentations focuses on this as well. Not only do people suffer, but suffering is distributed unequally. Foreigners and strangers suffer more than others. Living in a sinful world is a challenge for all of us, but it's especially a challenge for those of us who move and relocate geographically and also culturally. For immigrants, corporate sin hits doubly. From the perspective of ethnic people, many, many systems seem unjust toward them. This is why the Old Testament law speaks dozens of times about taking special care to address the needs of foreigners and aliens, a category of people who today include those picking up their lives and moving for many political and social reasons. Immigrants looking for new jobs, a new future for their family. Migrant workers, refugees fleeing violence and pain in their home country, international students, domestic students, people who have moved across the country. Rather than steady all of the Old Testament passages, I wanted to follow Jeremiah's example this morning. Jeremiah speaks personally about his own life, a very specific situation that's especially outside of those verses that we read. So I encourage you to read the whole of Lamentations 3. But Jeremiah speaks personally about his own life and his own experience as a way of inviting uh, us to understand the broader context of the lament of his community. And so I want to ask you to allow me to share a personal example as well that illustrates in small part the injustice in our world today. Many of you know that my wife is a dental hygienist. And so we've learned a lot about dental hygiene. I've learned a lot about dental hygiene in the last few years. And in the last year, as we moved to Canada, we've learned a lot about dental hygiene in Alberta. If you want to do dental hygiene in Alberta, you need to go to Nate, the North Alberta Institute of Technology. You can take courses and instructors walk you through the process and the tests that you need in order to become a registered dental hygienist in Alberta. It's the same bar for everybody. And it's not an easy program, but the system is there to support you. So far, so fair. But if you come from the United States to be a dental hygienist, you have to walk through the whole application process alone. You're responsible for proving that your education was substantially equivalent to Canadian programs. 
You're responsible for scheduling and retaking tests, and for that matter, for finding out what tests you have to take. You're responsible alone to figure out who to talk to and when, and even for making sure that the licensing body in the United States communicates with the licensing body in Alberta. As an individual, it's your job to get two government agencies from different countries to communicate together. So all of you think my wife was unemployed for a year. She was busy. But that's not all. I learned this next part both from Kaylee indirectly and from my barber in, here in Martelou. His girlfriend is trained as a dental hygienist in Iran, and she worked for about four or five years before moving to Canada. If you're trained as a dental hygienist or if you have work experience outside of North America, in many cases there's no option for you and no process for you. Your years of schooling and experience are not transferable. It doesn't matter who you talk to or what you do. Your only option is to retake all the courses as if you were a first-time student. And this is made even harder with, uh, with cultural or language struggles. In a workplace, you'd be able to use your skills and pick things up gradually. Turns of phrase or the different, Cana different Canadian numbering system for teeth. They number them differently than the rest of the world. Also things you didn't need to know. But it's difficult to advocate for yourself in a large system, in a new culture where you don't know the rules and you have to do all this talking and writing before you're even allowed to, support your, to use your skills or support yourself or advocate for yourself. We often think of equality as having one fair way forward. For example, everybody needs to graduate from Nate. One rule applies to everyone. But equality isn't always justice. And of the many points that, or the, the rabbit trails that we could follow from that, my, my point this morning, or my focus this morning, is that the brokenness of our world disproportionately affects foreigners and strangers. No matter what our culture, that's true. It's not just the North American thing. If we were in Asia or if we were in Africa, uh, those of us who were immigrants and foreigners there would have the same or similar struggles. No matter our culture, when we, we benefit from within society, it's harder for us to see the position of privilege that we have, in part because we suffer too. Those of us with privilege don't have perfect lives. We simply have the ability to advocate for ourselves, the understanding to navigate the system. Others do not. And this is just a small example, as I say, one removed from many of your lives. So why am I bringing up all this teeth in church? Well, there's two reasons. One is that I always bring up church at home when my wife wants to talk about teeth. So it's only fair that we switch it up sometimes. But the more important reason why I bring this up in church is that we understand that we live in a world that is unjust. But God has not called the church to be like the world. He has called the church to be like him. Those with privilege have the ability to advocate for themselves. The foreigner and stranger do not. As I said, before God, we are all foreigners and strangers. None of us is able to advocate for ourselves. It's only Christ 
who advocates for us to the Father. This is a central theme of the book of Hebrews, which we're going to pick up again in just a moment. But this knowledge that we experience in our own lives in a spiritual way, all of us who call ourselves Christians, it humbles us so that we can care for those not only who are foreigners and strangers from Christ, but also those who are foreigners and strangers from us so that they might see justice in our world, in our country, in our city. And even if they don't, that we might see justice in the church, in the body of Christ, as we are together united in, uh, into the head of the body that is Christ. Sun Chan Ra, again in this book on lament, asks, in our engagement with issues of justice, do we rely too much on our own abilities rather than on the character of God? The answer, of course, is yes. It's a classic problem and challenge for us as people. We always are relying too much on our own abilities. If we do good at all, as people and certainly as Christians, our good we do should be a loving response to the incredible good that God has done and is doing in our world and in us personally. We should respond in joy because Christ has advocated for us and restored us to God's glory, to his goodness, and to his family. If we live separated and continue to live separated as individuals and focused on ourselves, simply hearing about God makes us shudder like the demons in James or hide like Adam and Eve. That's the shame response, to shudder, to, to close in on ourselves. Only the community of God, only in the community of God, can we joyfully experience the new family that God invites us to, the new honor that God gives us. And this isn't, just, this isn't something uh, that we can just talk about or speak about. It's something we also have to show. Why? Because, as I just said, we're called not to be like our world. We're, our world is, we're all good for some talk. We're called to be like Jesus. And Romans 5 reminds us, the Apostle Paul in Romans 5 reminds us that God didn't just talk about his love, God demonstrated, he showed his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The author of Hebrews tells us just how God showed us his love. Again, the author of Hebrews looking back to the Old Testament, to the, the temple which was destroyed uh, in, during the time of Lamentations, he says, the high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but their bodies, of the bodies of these animals, are burned outside the camp. And then the author of Hebrews makes this move. And the words will be on the screen behind me, so we'll leave them up there through to the end of the message. So Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace that he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking forward to the city that is to come. This is our hope as Christians, that Jesus became a foreigner and stranger, so that foreigners and strangers wouldn't be alone. 
Isn't that beautiful? That to those who were outside, Jesus went outside. For those who were foreigners and strangers to God, Jesus became forsaken by God. Jesus, when going to the cross, refused to advocate for himself so that those who cannot advocate for themselves would be one with him and a part of him. In being taken outside the city, in being rejected and mistreated by a sinful world, Jesus began a new family, a new group. Not one that's like this world, but one that is like the heavenly family of God. That's like the kingdom of God that is perfectly in heaven and already now coming down to earth. Jesus began this new family so that when we go to him and when we experience the same pain and mistreatment that he faced, we can be sure that we are one with him and that he is one with us. We can be sure that God makes us to be like him in honor, in glory, in relationship, even in our hearts and actions. Jesus showed us God's great love as Christians by going outside of the city, by dying and suffering, just like so many before who had died, suffered and died. And so in this Lenten season, this season between uh, Ash Wednesday and the triumphal entry and then Easter, In this Lenten season, we remember that despite this spiritual reality, despite the fact that Jesus has already gone outside to be with those who are foreigners and strangers, we continue to live in a physical world of pain and suffering. We continue to live in a world that gives preferential treatment to some people over others. We continue to live in a world that is still waiting for Jesus to come. I don't mean, of course, that Jesus is going to be incarnated and born again. And I don't even mean that the world is waiting for Jesus to return and judge the living and the dead, as the Apostles' Creed says. I mean that our world is waiting for the body of Christ to come. Our world will only see Jesus when God's people go to be with the foreigner and stranger. When the body of Christ leads the charge to this new the charge of this new family that God is making. This is why our church supports refugees abroad, but also why we work for justice at home. It's why our vision statement is reaching out, drawing in, and creating a mosaic community. Because we want everyone to see that she or he is pure in Christ, that we are his creatures, that we all bear his image, That even if nowhere else in our world, in God's church, in his spiritual family, we can experience the honor of being restored to and sharing fully in God's glory. We can all be part of a family where foreigners become family, where strangers become brothers and sisters, and when all of us are full partners in the Spirit's inheritance for us. That is our hope. That is what we are working toward. That is what we look forward to. So in that hope, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you that you have not only died to pay for our sins, 
but that you have gone ahead of us into the suffering and struggles of our world. That you went ahead of us outside of the city to suffer and to be with those who suffer. And that you invite us to go with you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the joy of rejoicing with those who rejoice and for the honor of weeping with those who weep. We thank you that we can put our hope in you, our trust in you, and also, Lord Jesus, that you are our perfect example who we can follow as we go into our family, as we go into our workplace and our school, as we go into our jobs, as we go into our leisure, even in this coming week. God, we say that with faith that you have gone before us. And so we look forward to meeting you as we prepare for the path that you have already set for us this week. Father, go ahead of us. Give us your eyes to see. Give us your heart to love. And even as we walk into difficult situations, remind us that your spirit is present with us. You'll never leave us alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.